If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. James 4, 1 to 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you right there in the back of the pew in front of you, the shorter dark brown book there. You'll find this on either page 855 or 898, depending on which printing of that you have. I'm going to take this passage in two parts between this week and next. We'll read all 12 verses this morning. Then my sermon is just going to focus on uh, verses 1 through 3 because I want to be able to make an extended application of the text, as you'll see. But the message is titled, Why Christians Squabble. A squabble, if you don't know, uh, is a quarrel or argument about petty or trivial stuff. Sometimes we argue about non-petty and non-trivial stuff, but sometimes we also just squabble. And for those of us who have spent a lot of time around church folks, we know that we're just as good at it, good at it as anybody else. And in fact, I don't know whether it's probably not better necessarily, but but we come armed when we squabble because we bring the Bible with us. You know, like our position, we we, we fling the authority of the Word of God at one another. And so there's something just uglier about it when Christians are engaged, right? And of course, the most inglorious examples are when there's a nasty spat about something trivial. Some time ago, um, I shared a story in a, a sort of a sermon illustration about a church that split over really what was a variety of complex issues kind of at root, but the event that sort of lit the fuse, that caused things to erupt, that eventually led to the split of the church, it was traced back to an elder who was served a smaller piece of ham than a child sitting next to him at a church gathering. You may remember that. And so we observed, you know, it's not, about, it's not about the ham, right? It's never about the ham. The issue is something greater than the ham. But out of that, we have now, it seems, made it almost a tradition around here. At every church gathering where food is served, we want to be sure there's some ham. And uh, we want to serve elders a smaller piece just to keep them, you know, in their place. But whatever the trivial issue is, that's usually not the real issue. And in fact, James tells us the real reason for squabbling among Christians. And so we want to look at that now from James uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And I'm going to ask if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 1, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Lord, as we've already acknowledged, God, we just walk around with all kinds of stuff in our hearts all the time. And we need your word to tell us the truth about what's there so that it might be cleansed from us. So Lord, when we open the scriptures, we do so always with the great expectation that you are going to speak to us through them. And so we ask that you will speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people and for your glory. Lord, would you move me out of the way and use my mouth as simply your instrument to say what we need to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Last week, if you were here, remember we read about two kinds of wisdom, what I called heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom, wisdom from above and wisdom that's not from above. And earthly wisdom has jealousy and selfish ambition at its root. Heavenly wisdom, by contrast, is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so that passage at the end of chapter four closes out with remarks about peace. In fact, I made reference to it earlier. It closes out with this reference about peace and then chapter four immediately opens with this subject about quarrels and fights, which is of course the total opposite of peace. And once again, as James does somewhat regularly throughout this letter, he introduces this topic in, at the beginning of chapter 4 with a, with a rhetorical question. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, regarding questions like this, humans from the beginning... Uh, have been inclined to point to something outside of themselves as the source of their problems, right? And so following man's first sin in the garden, God questioned him and asked if he had eaten the forbidden fruit. And Adam said, as you may remember, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The confession came, but it came a little late. He said, I ate, but not until he said, the woman you gave me. As if to say, 
you know, God, you and the woman just kind of need to work it out. Decide which one of you is really more to blame. You know, I'm not mad at you or anything, but y'all just talk among yourselves or whatever and work that out. But we do something similar when it comes to identifying the, the cause of our quarrels and fights. And so if somebody were to ask uh, a, a couple, you know, um, why, do you, why do you argue? Sort of, and, and, and you might hear uh, maybe the wife say, well, money is what causes arguments in our marriage. My husband thinks his priorities are the most important. And um, a lot of times uh, what he wants is just not what's best for the family. And so I tell him so. And then we argue about it. Or, or maybe parents are asked that questions and, you know, the dad says, my kids act like they don't have to follow the rules, like they're in charge or something. And then you say, well, you know, when I was growing up, whatever daddy said was the law. And we didn't question it. We just did it. And sometimes my kids don't just do it. And so we argue about it. In other words, we could go on and on with examples of, of, of ways in which when we think about what causes arguments, we think about uh, issues or some other person or sometimes both some other person and their issues. But the subject of your quarrels is different than the cause of your quarrels. The subject of our quarrels is different than the cause of our quarrels. Now let's look again at verses 1 and 2, how James answers his own rhetorical question, and you probably caught it um, as we were reading aloud. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. He says, your passions are at war within you. Your passions are at war within you. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Well, that's it. What the ESV calls passions here, other translations render as pleasures, desires, or even lust. So depending on which translation you've, you have, you've got maybe some reading like that. The Greek word here is uh, hedonon. It is the Greek root of our word hedonism which is just a pursuit of pleasure, or even a philosophy that says that pleasure is the highest good, and so we ought to devote our lives to essentially pursuing and achieving pleasure. That's hedonism derived from this root. But it's, it's pleasure, and the word is used only five times in the New Testament and always in a negative sense. And there is a positive sense of pleasure, right? Pleasure has a positive connotation. The word, the use of this particular word in the New Testament is always used in a negative sense as it is here. And those passions, those pleasures or desires for pleasure are at war within us, battling for control that they're not meant to have. Are you aware of that sometimes in your own heart? Desires that are battling to control your decision-making and just your life in a number of ways. 
fighting for control that they are not meant to have. He goes on to say, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Again, there's a very direct answer to the question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, you covet and you cannot obtain. I said last week, you know, James, he's just a little meddlesome, isn't he? I mean, why are you pointing a finger at me? We're controlled by desires for pleasure that should not control us. We long for things we don't have and maybe even ought not to have. And we can't, when we can't obtain them, we fight about it. It's irritable not having obtained the things that we covet. Conflicts, squabbles come from within me, not from someone or something else. And so they point me right back to my own heart, right? Which points me in turn right back to the cross of Christ where I say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's time and time again, I'm, I have revealed to me what's in my own heart. And here, our, our, our quarrels and fights point us right back to that place. And of course, it's good news that there is a place for us to turn. But even though all of that is true, and it's right here written in the Bible, believers still find themselves pretty regularly in quarrels. And, and like I said earlier, sometimes quite nasty ones, and sometimes quite nasty ones about trivial matters, like the ham incident, or like ones that author uh, Tom Rayner writes about in his book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church. He uh, tells some rather unflattering stories about churches that had died. The whole premise of the book, it's, it's a quite short book, but it's, it's to say, l- looking at some churches that had died and kind of examining them in hindsight, what were some of the common denominators that he saw that led to the demise of these churches? One of them uh, was that many of those churches shared an obsession over facilities and even sharp squabbles over facilities. He tells one particular story where he says that one church split and eventually died when the old pulpit was replaced with a new one. Yeah, you've you've been to that church, haven't you? Yeah. (laughs) The church had a business meeting and a major battle to vote on the new pulpit. Members who had not been in the church for years showed up for the vote. Mm, You've been to that one too. Indeed, the so-called inactive members often became active for a contested business meeting in the dying churches. Their presence ended abruptly once the vote was over. And in this case, the new pulpit group defeated the old pulpit group in a close vote. The old pulpit group took the pulpit and started a new church. The new church with the old pulpit, so don't get confused. The new church with the old pulpit died after 
only two years after its start. The older church with the new pulpit held on for another 11 years before its demise. Now, stories like that are sad, but they they sound so absurd that they are a little amusing when they're stories about somebody else's church. Uh, when When it's my church, it's serious business, isn't it? Because they're not trivial matters. They're matters of deep conviction and importance when it's my church. And all of that, of course, is immediately relevant to us because although hopefully we do not obsess over facilities or fight over facilities, we have been considering for some time uh, fairly substantial changes to our facilities, specifically in the sanctuary. And so I want to just share a little bit of a background on that and um, kind of a summary of some of that discussion and decisions about that. But we started a discussion last August Um, Some of you were here when uh, I really just mentioned that fact that we were kind of beginning that. And it was, it it actually got interrupted along the way by a hurricane. (laughs) Those those stubborn hurricanes, you know. But anyway, uh, it started last August. It was prompted by uh, the need to change the carpet. Yes, now everybody look down now and affirm yes. (laughs) Indeed. It's, it's, it's still a need. <laughs> and so, so we, we, we've, we've talked about this for uh, a number of years. In fact, one of the reasons that just hasn't been done is because in order to take the carpet out, you have to take the pews up to take the, to take the carpet out and replace it. Once you take the pews out of here, you bring them back in, then you have to bring it up to current fire code, which means that the pews have to be cut down to uh, a shorter length on the side, so there's a certain uh, width of aisle on the side, etc. I mean, so you kind of, it's, 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 you, t- you want to change the carpet, you got to deal with the seating. Well, while you're doing all that, um, we said, well, we need to uh, consider some other um, things like lighting and paint and other sort of aesthetic considerations. In other words, while you're doing this sort of project, what else does it make sense to do at the same time, right? And so you get this, this sort of chain reaction of things, but it was, it was um, sort of initiated by um, this need to, to uh, replace the carpet. So we had a, a, a comprehensive investigation um, and discussion, again, because of just wanting to touch what are the related things that we um, at least want to consider whether we ought to do them now. And so in that discussion, we, um, we address things like um, acoustics and acoustical solutions, other technical um, components, even uh, whether we um, ought to have bathrooms uh, near the, f- the front entrance back here. Um, front entrance back here. It's back there, but you know, it's the front. You know what I mean? Uh, Etc. And some of those things are still of interest to us, but didn't get actually included in the scope of this uh, project implementation. We got input, though, from a variety of people for all those reasons that I just mentioned. So some people um, we wanted to hear from who have um, good taste in like design things. That's not all of us. They have good taste. 
Some of us have no taste at all. Uh, some of us have bad taste, but, some, but there are some people who have good taste about such things. Other people who need to speak into, again, those things that are more logistical in nature or code issues and all those kinds of things, technical things. We got input from a, a variety of people and uh, we certainly heard a variety of opinions, as you might imagine, too. But we knew going into the discussion uh, that the issue that would matter most to people of all the things I just said was uh, whether to modify and refinish the pews or to replace them with chairs. And, you know, we, we discovered, you know, some people uh, may not have an opinion about things like Trump versus Hillary or, or nuclear disarmament, but everybody's got an opinion about pews and chairs, right? <laughs> Everybody, and it's and and we and we find it's just about uh, divided right down the middle. I mean, you ask one group, you get one answer, and another group, the other answer, and so on and so forth. Uh, but there are pros and cons both ways um, to that. We got actually recomm recommendations even uh, from different committees looking at things from different perspectives. We got recommendations for one or the other. It, it effectively came almost down to a coin toss in terms of rationale for one or the other. And in the end, we, we let the comparative uh, cost of those two options cast the deciding vote for us. And uh, it was going to cost anywhere from, depending on the quotes we got, anywhere from two to four times as much um, to actually modify, refinish, and reinstall the pews. And so we decided in the end uh, we were going to replace them with chairs. And uh, so that's the big, sort of the big part of the decision. Like I said, most people don't care about the rest of it almost. Um, but, but, but even in, if, if you hadn't already heard that, um, probably what, what some of you just felt uh, is some place in your heart uh, that is uh, snagged a bit by that kind of decision. And that may, that's not true for everybody. In other words, if I had said we decided to keep the pews, the other half of you would have felt a different kind of snag in your heart. You see what I mean? In other words, um, it, it's, it's trivial and amusing when it's somebody else's issue, but there's something more to it when it's our issue. And I, I think that's helpful even just to acknowledge, even though we realize at the end of the day, um, it des doesn't deserve to be a bigger deal than it really is. And yet it is what it is. But anyway, so um, the, the, those things that we um, decided were sort of right and necessary to go ahead and do were uh, to replace the carpet, um, we'll actually uh, recover the surface of the worship, worship platform here with um, uh, kind of a, a wood laminate uh, flooring. Replace the carpet, um, put chairs in. Uh, by the way, there are, I'm going to say this, and now there's going to be a fire hazard going out uh, at the end of service, but I think there are a couple, uh, or one of the chairs, at least there's one sample of the chair we're going to use. Uh, I think they're both the same fabric color if you wanted to see them uh, on the way out. But anyway, um, we'll, we'll, we'll touch up, uh, not just touch up, but repaint um, and uh, address some, re replace some lighting. So we've actually had a lighting issue for a long time. Um, 
you know, those wear out too, kind of like carpet, <laughs> but uh, f- fixtures and even switches and that kind of thing. The things about the system itself that we use that um, just, in fact, doesn't even perform the way it used to perform. We can't dim all of the lights that we're supposed to be able to dim because it just doesn't work anymore. But um, anyway, there are, so, so even just replacing some of the lighting uh, fixtures and that sort of thing is, is part of that as well. So the, the estimated cost of uh, all of the stuff we would do um, is around $135,000, we, uh, which is actually down from what we first thought it was going to be. And what we um, determined here, we have $100,000 uh, that's already been earmarked by session for facilities improvements. And so we can go ahead and complete the, the, the lion's share of this project with money that we have in the bank. And we can uh, sort of start and finish, you know, again, a, a sort of a major phase of the project. There'll be a few little pieces that we would do if we had all, and, you know, another twenty-five dollars or $35,000. And uh, if, you, if you have that and you want to give it to us, um, see me after the service. But uh, we really, you know, in all seriousness, just decided we weren't going to really sort of launch any sort of hard uh, campaign to try to raise that as the Lord provides it. Uh, there are things that we, we know uh, need to be done and, or, or other things that we want to be, to be done that, that we think will be um, helpful. I'll say what I didn't say at the outset of this is, is as we approach this, knowing again, it kind of has a, a fairly comprehensive nature to it. Um, we, we, we wanted the result to be a worship environment uh, that conveys a sense of both a, a freshness and a vitality to it, but also that retains um, a sense that there is a history and a heritage to it. You've, you've heard me kind of appealing to both of those uh, over the last year and a half. We're a gospel-centered, spirit-filled Presbyterian church. We're, as a spirit-filled church, a gospel-centered church, there's a, there's a freshness and vitality, a vibrancy, right, to, the, to, to the, our message that's always relevant to every new generation and in every culture. Um, there's a joy and a vitality to our worship because we're always inviting the Spirit to sort of blow fresh breezes through what we do, right? That nothing ever just grows musty or dusty about church here because, because He's always sort of blowing, so to speak, to use that metaphor. But also that as a Presbyterian church, we identify with the ancient church, that reaches all the way back uh, to the New Testament and along every generation that has followed from there. And, and, and we embrace that. We want our worship to reflect that. And we want our worship space to convey a sense of that. Okay. So we, in other words, we didn't, we didn't try to approach this like we're creating a concert hall in here. Um, because that was just never going to be convincing anyway, right? Even if we wanted to do it. But, um, but we're, we're really after sort of uh, that blend of dynamics, if you want to call it that. So there are, there are some things um, even that we uh, will do and would do just aesthetically that help convey those sort of expressions, if you will, 
uh, with uh, additional funding if we had it. But we have that project kind of in view, the money to do it, and so we're kind of ready to pull the trigger on that. So um, we will actually plan to schedule implementation of that um, in the mid-June time frame, it looks like. I mean, one of the things about this, it's there's a lot that goes on around here, uh, you know, both in, in, in this building and all the rest of them or whatever. So scheduling um, when is the most convenient time or the least inconvenient time to be out of the sanctuary and worshiping in the uh, Family Life Center, for example, um, is has its own challenges. So we'll, we'll schedule it in mid-June. Um, we're projecting uh, that this can be done in a three-week time frame, which actually uh, encompassed two Sundays. So we're thinking we, we would be out of here for two Sundays and then kind of have the big reveal. Um, I don't know that it's really even all that big, so I don't I don't want to overblow it or whatever. But just we you know we would we would be back in for that third Sunday. Um, that's our expectation. Of course, you know how expectations go, and especially when it involves projects and contractors and whatever. Uh, there's probably ex- like a dozen extra trips to Home Depot uh, that maybe aren't on the the schedule or whatever. But anyway, uh, that's kind of the time frame that we're expecting to roll out in the scope of what we're going to do. So I, I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm excited that we've reached this decision and we're taking um, this step and, and what the result is going to be. But um, I'll say I think we've made the right decision. But, you know, it's, this isn't a decision that reflects my preferences entirely either. Okay, not that I really had that many preferences, and I really am among those that have either no taste or bad taste. Uh, so my preferences were completely irrelevant. Uh, anyway, so but but the point is simply to say, you know, this th- this project isn't about pushing through what I want or anybody else wants, for that matter. It's certainly not expression of of what I want, but I'm excited about it altogether. Our our elders determined. Um, at the very outset of this conversation, we were not going to let this be a divisive issue. We just were not going to be divided and contentious about this of all things. You know, not ham, not pulpits, and not pews and chairs. So we, we just refused to let the passions within us control us. We did all have our own opinions and preferences and that kind of thing, but... Um, but not worth quarreling and fighting about. I'll say it is symbolic, even though not really conscious or intentionally so, but it is symbolic uh, that at the center of our worship platform remains a cross. And so we and our desires, every external element of our worship uh, ought rightly to bow right there and you and I with them. Well, let's pray together. Lord God, you are good to us all the time. Your mercies are new every morning. Your kingdom draws near. Lord, you are always seated upon your throne. 
and you're extending your kingdom, establishing your will on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want to be a part of that. We have been, and we rejoice that we have been as a church. We want to continue to be a part of what you're doing on this earth, what you are doing in our city. And so God, we, we open ourselves fully to that for you to do what you want to do here. Lord, would you reveal to us, even at this time, um, individually, Lord, those things, those passions that we may have in our own heart at war within us, seeking to control our thinking, our decision-making, and by that, even the way that we live. Lord, would you set us free from them that we too might know and walk in a purity of peace and openness to reason, mercy, and all of those qualities that make us look more like Jesus. Lord, rest your hand securely and lovingly upon us and all that we do. Reach us, teach us, and change us. In Jesus' name, amen.